In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. It feels so good to look out and see familiar faces. I'm here having attended our dear friend Bill Matthews' requiem and committal yesterday and very grateful to the bishop for inviting me to preach today. I feel like a son who has returned home from a strenuous but spiritually formative journey. Indeed, the Camino de Santiago was very long and arduous. I even left with a full beard and came back clean-shaven. Hopefully my soul did as well. Speaking of long journeys, we have together just emerged out of 24 Sundays of the Trinity season. And today, the Sunday before Advent, we are presented with the opportunity of looking back over this Trinity season of spiritual growth and discipleship, as well as looking ahead, preparing for the coming of the Christ child. To do that, we will look at one of the best known stories about Jesus, in fact, our gospel reading from St. John this morning is the only miracle, apart from the resurrection, which is recorded in all four gospels. That alone makes it important for us. We know that many people were following Jesus in boats and on foot wherever he went, some with good reasons, to know Jesus and to grow spiritually or to be healed. Others came for selfish curiosity, personal gain, or even later to test him and convict him. Whether it be Jew, Gentile, pagan, foreigner, or locals, individuals, or families, the crowds were indeed enormous, much larger than the stated 5,000. For the early writers from a patriarchal era only reported the adult males. Scholars agree that the number present at this miracle were perhaps 10 to 15,000 including the women and children. His popularity had grown. His miracles and teachings were profound, hopeful, compassionate, grace-filled, as he initiated his new kingdom upon earth. St. John reports that the people were so impressed after this miracle that they immediately sought to declare Jesus as their king. They, of course, were looking for an earthly king that would free them from the control of Rome and restore Judah to the level of greatness she had enjoyed during the reign of David and Solomon. Our epistle this morning from the prophecy of Jeremiah proclaims this. You know the miracle well. Seeing the great multitude, Jesus turns to Philip and asks, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? That's a loaded question. The gospel writer tells us, quote, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip's response was one of impossibility. Quote, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a single bite. Isn't that interesting? Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do, but he needed to test his followers. Jesus wanted to know whether they were fact-based thinkers or faith-based thinkers. A powerful concept for us here 2,000 years later. Jesus wanted to test his disciples. How could they react to the challenge of feeding these thousands of people? Could they see beyond human limits and focus on God's infinite power? Unfortunately, 
Philip failed that test, giving a fact-based response. Inventor Henry Ford said when he opened his first car factory, quote, I'm looking for a lot of people who have an infinite capacity to not know what cannot be done, unquote. <laughs> that seemed to be Jesus' aim as well. Lots of people are experts in what cannot be done. The important question is, what can be done? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Andrew was on the right track. But he hadn't completely switched from fact-based faith to faith-based thinking. <laughs> Remember how the Apostle Paul defined faith in the book of Hebrews? Quote, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, unquote. Faith-based thinkers start by taking their problems to Jesus. Andrew was right, was on the right track by bringing a boy that had offered his resources to Jesus. That's the first step in finding any solution, says the late Dr. Robert Schuller, quote, by shifting our focus from the problem to the power, from the problem to the power. So Jesus looks out at the thousands and has compassion upon them. And before he could meet their needs, they needed to get organized, and you know the story well. Jesus told them to sit down, then he took the loaves, gave thanks, and says, John distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had finished, Jesus had them gather the leftovers in 12 baskets. St. John calls this event a sign. Scholars tell us that John's record of the life of Jesus is very specific on this purpose. Quote, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, and by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 31. On October 14, 1947, pilot Chuck Yeager became the first person to break the sound barrier. I was very blessed as a young lad to meet him in person. My father did the same type of business. This was a feat that many scientists and pilots had judged to be impossible at the time. Yeager wrote about this uh, history-making moment in his autobiography, and he writes this right out of his book. The faster I got, the smoother the ride. We were flying supersonic, and it was as smooth as a baby's bottom. Grandma could be sitting up there with me, sipping lemonade. I was thunderstruck, he writes. After all the anxiety, after all the anticipation, breaking the sound barrier was really a letdown. The sonic barrier, the unknown, was just a poke through jello, a perfectly paved speedway. Sounds like a fighter pilot. Later, I realized that this mission had to end in a letdown because the real barrier wasn't in the sky, but in our knowledge, in our faith, in our experience of supersonic flight. In that very moment when Chuck Yeager went supersonic, he laid to rest years of fears and questions in the scientific community. This one act demolished limits of thinking, as well as physical limits that had been in place since the beginning of time. 
And in the same way, this miracle of the feeding of the 15,000, if you will, demolished limits of thinking as well as physical limits. I am sure on that day, many faith-based thinkers were born. Friends, we serve a God without limits. 2 Corinthians 9.10 reads, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. On another occasion, Jesus taught his followers not to worry about what they eat or drink or wear because their heavenly Father knows that we need all these things. When Jesus turned water into wine, when he caused the disciples to catch a net full of fish, when he healed everyone he touched, and when he fed thousands of people with a small serving of fish and bread, Jesus was demonstrating the abundance of God's eternal kingdom. And that abundance is still available to us today. God is without limits, and there is no problem we can bring to God that cannot be covered by his abundant grace and mercy. And that, my friends, is faith-based thinking. Faith-based thinkers know that God moves in mysterious ways, that God's ways are not our ways, and that costly obedience is always rewarded beyond our wildest imagination. Faith-based thinkers get the awesome privilege of seeing the power of God made manifest in their own lives. If you had been on the hillside that day, would you have ever recovered from the shock of seeing Jesus multiply those loaves and fishes? Would you ever stop talking about it? Beloved, God is working in our lives at all times, in big and small ways. But much of God's work can only be seen in hindsight. As we look back over this last Trinity season of almost seven months, and indeed our lives, we see our needs supplied on time. Or we may see prayers answered sometimes immediately and sometimes years after they were prayed. And in other circumstances, we thank God for prayers that God in his great wisdom chose not to answer according to our desires. But faith-based thinkers don't have to rely on hindsight. They can also rejoice ahead of time in the knowledge that our God is loving, just, and powerful, and that he will, quote, meet every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so, as faith-based thinkers, we look ahead to next week, the start of Advent, we anticipate the coming of the Christ child. The world has never known a heart so pure, a character so flawless as Jesus. His spiritual hearing was so keen, he never missed a heavenly whisper. His mercy so abundant, he never missed a chance to forgive. No lie left his lips, no distraction marred his vision. He touched when others recoiled. He endured when others quit. He was the propitiation for our sins, the Messiah, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, is soon to arrive. May we, as faith-based believers, spiritually anticipate, prepare, and rejoice. As the prophet Isaiah spoke of in chapter 9, 
quote, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will not just feed 15,000, but will offer salvation to all of humankind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.